0: Let me just read verses 10 to 17. I'll read the story, then we'll study it together. It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those needing healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. It was the great uh, missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, in the 19th century, who said the off-quoted line, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Or as someone has kind of paraphrased it more recently, wherever the finger of God points, the hand of God provides. If God calls us to do something and He directs us, He will also provide for us along the way. And that's really what this text is all about today in Luke chapter 9. It's about God uh, being able to provide. Last Sunday, if you were here, uh, you remember we studied about the disciples going out on their missionary journey. And we saw that uh, that text was teaching us that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, then you are officially authorized by God to be a spokesperson for Jesus in the workplace, in the school, wherever it is that you live. So today's text kind of goes along with that. God not only authorizes us to be His spokespeople, He not only gives us that pointing finger, but He also gives us the supplying hand to enable us to do what He's asking us to do. That God not only uh, provi- uh, uh, gives us permission, He gives us provision too. He not only sanctions us to speak about Jesus, but He supplies us so that we can do it. Because uh, Jesus is our provision. Jesus is what we need to live the Christian life. He is enough. Just like that song we just sang, You are my all in all. It's all about uh, God being our sufficiency. And so look at the story with me. Verse 10. It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then He took them with Him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Uh, now, just to give a little background here, the disciples are returning from somewhere, but from where are they returning? W- what were they just doing? Well, we studied this last week. They had gone out on a missionary journey. And so in case you weren't here last Sunday, let's just go back and read Luke chapter 9 verses 1 to 6. This is kind of like episode 1 from last week that really helps us understand what's going on this week. And when you understand the Bible in context, that's the key to interpreting the Bible is reading it in context. Reading the verses around it. So here's Luke chapter 9 verses 1 to 6. It says, When Jesus had called the twelve together... He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So the disciples are going out, I guess in a sense of replicating the ministry of Jesus. They're doing what He's been doing. And so they're spreading the ministry of Jesus out and around. Verse 3, He told them, Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village preaching the Gospel and healing people everywhere. So now go to verse 10, which is our text. It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then Jesus took them with Him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So, uh, now you can see kind of the whole story. The disciples have gone out, and now they're coming back. They're returning. And Jesus says, you know, let's, go, let's, let's get away. Let's go on a little camping trip here. You guys got your backpacks. We need to go out of town. We're going to have a campfire, sing Kumbaya. We need to get some time alone. Why are they going off by themselves? Well, they probably need a rest. The guys are probably fried. If you've ever been involved in a church ministry, maybe you've been a Sunday school teacher this year, and our Sunday school period ends somewhere around May, And it's been a great year. You've been having fun teaching kids. But you know, frankly, you're ready for the year to be over. You need a break this summer. Or maybe you've been on a church committee. And our church committees, people serve on them for three years typically. And this is your third year. And boy, it's been great. You learned a lot. It's been great serving God on the committee. But you know what? It's good that it's over and you need a break. And so that's the idea. I once spent a summer in Taiwan as a short-term missionary when I was in high school. It was a great experience. I mean, Taiwan is such a beautiful country Beautiful people, incredible food. It's just wonderful. And uh, we went there for two and a half months. And when we got done with the mission trip and came back, um, we didn't go straight home. They sent all the mission teams to a conference center in Oregon. And we spent a week there because we just needed to debrief, talk about what we'd learned, think about what God was teaching us, ask questions, and just rest. And so I kind of get that sense here. Here's the disciples. They've been on this really successful, uh, extended uh, missionary tour. And now they're coming back and Jesus is like, look, you guys are fried, I can tell. We need to go chill out. We're going to go camping. We're going to go in the wilderness. Let's go. But the problem is, of course, uh, our plans are not always God's plans. And so here's the disciples putting on their backpacks and they're heading off in the wilderness. And you know, there's a sound behind them and they you know, look around and here's thousands of people with their backpacks on you know, following them. Are you guys going this way? Yeah, yeah, wherever you're going. Like, ugh. So here they go. Verse 11. It says, The crowds learned about it and followed him. Ministry happens at the most inconvenient times. But look what Jesus does. It says, He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Just a beautiful glimpse into the heart of Jesus. So it goes on and on and he keeps doing this all day because look at verse 12. Late in the afternoon, so this has been going on all day now, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. You know, there's always one of these guys on every committee. Some guy is always like, you know, uh, look at the time. Practically, we can't do this, and you know there's this problem. And you know I know you want to do that, but there's this problem, this problem, and you know we can't do it because of this. And here's the practical concerns, and it's it's not going to happen. you know people need to go. It's been great, Jesus. You've done a good job. Ministry has been great, wonderful. Thank you, folks. Time to go, everyone. You know nothing else to see here. People got to go get food, Jesus. And and so they're kind of rushing people off. And how are these people going to get food? They need to get back. And I love Jesus' response. Verse 13. I think verse 13 is kind of the hinge of the story. This is where the story really gets good. And I love this verse. I love what Jesus says in verse 13. He replied, You give him something to eat. Now in my mind, which is kind of a constant movie, I think of everything, I've seen too many movies, I think of everything like a movie. I was thinking, how would I film this? This is how I would film it. Jesus is ministering to the crowds and He's blessing people and He's teaching people and He's just doing His thing full speed. And I imagine all the disciples standing behind Him like in a big group kind of going, you know, you want to talk to Him? I'll talk to Him. You know, and this, you know, "Uh, Jesus, um, maybe we should let the people go. And I just kind of imagine Jesus not even turning to the disciples, just saying, yeah, 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 you give them something to eat. And, I wish I could have had a camera to get pictures of all the disciples' faces when he said that. You know, the jaws dropping, the eyebrows furrowing, the eyes rolling. People like, what? Us give them something to eat. There's 5,000 of them. There's, there's so many. How are we going to... He, did he say us? You know, they're talking among themselves. like, What did he say? What does he mean by that? Is this some spiritual thing? That, you know, what, you know, they're trying to figure this out. Us give them something to eat. What do you mean? Pretend that tomorrow morning God spoke to you and God said, I want you to get on the earliest boat out of Hingham and go to Rose Wharf and just sit there at Rose Wharf and watch people unload from the commuter boat. Or maybe God said to you, tomorrow I want you to um, you know, put your kids in school and I want you to go take a seat at South Shore Plaza or Independence Mall or whatever the mall is that's close to you and just sit there and watch people. Or maybe God said, tomorrow I'm giving you permission to cut classes and stand in the hallway and just watch the kids go back and forth to class. I just want you to watch. And let's pretend that as you did that tomorrow, God gave you a supernatural kind of superpower like Superman with x-ray vision that you could actually see into people's lives. And they wouldn't just be people walking by, but you actually could somehow see their stories as they walked by. And imagine as you sit there, the first guy walks by Rose Wharf and he's got his suit on, his briefcase and his Blackberry and he's doing his thing, going to work or whatever. And you saw into his life and what you realized was that this man had been up till four in the morning in a screaming match with his wife. Because their marriage was, you know, just about over. And the kids have been crying all night listening to this, but it's so bad they can't even tone it down. And you know, their marriage is like a tire that's threadbare and it's just ready to blow out at any moment. And it, And the guy had about two hours of sleep and he's just sucking it up to get through the day. And then there you are at the uh, uh, South Shore Plaza or wherever and you see a woman walk by and she's going off to work there somewhere and she looks all together. But as you look with your supernatural vision into her life, you see a lonely person who is drinking excessively to sort of deal with the hurt in her life and the loneliness and the pain. And she's medicating it with alcohol. Uh, Or you're standing there in school and there comes the you know seemingly all together lacrosse superstar guy that all the girls want to go out with or whatever and you see that he's actually contemplating suicide or there's a girl who walks by and she's struggling with an eating disorder or there's a, a, a something going difficult in that family or a woman walks by and and she has on long sleeve shirts even though it's a warm day because she has bruises from her home life and, and you watch all these people walking by, and, and you're seeing the, you know, what's underneath in a lot of people's lives. You know, how are you? Fine, fine. I'm fine. You fine? Yeah, we're all fine. You know, but really, what what's going on? And then God like clicks it a notch, and you can even see deeper into people's lives, and you see the sin that is there. We see greed, and we see the darkness in our hearts, the the lust and the anger and the whether it's substance abuse, the uh, pride, the self-righteousness, all the things that mark us spiritually. And you look at just humanity and you go, oh God, what are we going to do? This is so awful. You know, we're we're such broken and sinful people. And imagine if at that moment the voice of God spoke to you again and said, you give them something to eat. You'd be like, why? Why? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a counselor. I, I don't know what to do. I'm not a pastor. I, what, what, how am I supposed to help you give them something to eat? God is saying that to our church. There's a South Shore right now. I see cars. You can't see them as you're facing me, but I see cars. Mm, two, three. driving by. I'm told 25,000 cars drive by this church every day. You give them something to eat. Like, wow. How can we do that? And so I'm just like the disciples. Like, what? You know, look, look back at the, the text, Verse 13. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. I mean, there's a BJ's back in Bethsaida, but we can't afford it because that's 5,000 people and you told us not to take any money on this journey, so come on. You know, it's almost sarcastic. What, do you want us to buy food for all these people? Suddenly there's like 12 Napoleon Dynamites. Gosh! You know, it's not fair. Oh, you know, and they're all mad and grumpy. And aren't these the guys who just came back from a missionary journey where God took care of all their needs. And they already forgot that God can take care of all of our needs. Well, I mean, that was just me on the missionary journey. This is 5,000 people. This is different. This is big. I mean, that was little. This is big, God. I mean, we can't really trust you for big. I mean, little is understandable. I could see how you could do that. but it, And I just find that I'm so much like them. I so identify with the disciples. And I'm greatly encouraged by them because... Hey, if God could use those 12 Yahoos, and they could become, you know, the apostles, then you know, there's hope. There's hope that God can use anybody. And so I find the disciples incredibly encouraging at one level. And so here's the disciples. We can't do it. You know, I I had to struggle with this this week in my own life. Um, you know, strangely enough, whenever I'm preaching on something. That very issue very often comes into my life that week before I preach it, so I kind of have to work it through myself. It's kind of eerie how that happens so consistently, and that happened to me this week. Um, I I just was out of out of energy, out of ability to do what I had to do this week. You see, what happened was last Sunday, when I finished church, I went out to eat, and I just was not hungry, which for me is you know unheard of. That after after preaching on Sunday, I wouldn't be famished, which I always eat, and I just I could not eat. I'm like I'm not hungry. I'm like. This isn't good. And sure enough, by that afternoon, I was racked with pain. I was in bed, had the stomach flu for two and a half days. So, you know, whoever shook hands with me last Sunday, um, <laughs> you got the double blessing. There you go. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. Trust me. Um, yeah, too much information. So, uh, So I I finally start feeling better Wednesday morning. I'm I'm coming back to the office. And now I have two less days to do what I normally do in four days. And I have to write the sermon and have all the other stuff that kind of I got passed over during the week, so I have two days to do all this other stuff. I'm like, how am I going to write this sermon? What, you know, I haven't even time to think about it. I just, my, my brain is still kind of fuzzy. And then Friday I had a, a staff retreat at my house at dinner, and then on Saturday I had an elders retreat all morning here at the church, and they had all kinds of family stuff we were trying to jam in. You know, a typical kind of life. So I had about like ten pounds worth of stuff to stick into a five pound life, you know, bag, and, and I, I didn't know how it was going to fit. And so I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm stressed out Wednesday, and I'm praying. I'm like, God, you know, what am I going to do? And, you know, I'm doing the Napoleon Dynamite thing, like, gosh, this is not enough time. How can I do this, God? And, you know, it's, and I didn't literally hear the voice of God, but it was kind of like, this is sort of, you know, how it went. It was like, well, okay, you know, well, what's the text about your studying? Oh, you know, it's that, that story about the feeding of 5,000. You know, Well, how does it go? Well, you know, I mean, it's that story where, you know, you you took the bread and the the fish and you fed all those people and you provided. You know, I mean, how am I going to possibly get this done? It's like, what's the story about again? Oh, yeah, God can provide. And so, I'm so slow to get this. And, you know, we all doubt, we all struggle. Uh, Tomorrow morning, you are going to State Street Bank or Putnam or the electric company. Or maybe you're uh, going to Weymouth Middle School, or maybe you're going to the Hingham Newcomers Book Club, or wherever you go, whatever you do. And if you are a follower of Jesus, and His Spirit lives in you, and you're truly a follower of Christ, you are God's man or woman or child on the spot. You're the ambassador that He has sent, and He can give you everything you need to be His servant there. But you know, we doubt Him. We're like, "Oh, I can't do it, God. I I don't know what to say." I don't have all the answers. Someone's going to ask me a question about my faith and I'm not going to tell them the right answer. They're going to ask me some really hard question about the Big Bang or something like that and I don't know what to say. And you know, uh, God, I, I'm tired. I lost an hour of sleep this week. I'm going to be cranky. It's not the right week for me to represent you. And I'm stressed out and I'm depressed or I'm, I'm anxious or I'm grieving a loss of somebody this last, whatever it is. And we have all of our you know, excuses of why I can't do it. And, and I'm, I'm sinful. I, I look at my life and it's not perfect. I'm struggling just to stay faithful myself. How can I be a, a witness for you out there? Um, and we're just like the disciples. I don't, all we've got is five loaves and two fish. We've got five pieces of bagel and two sardines. I can't feed all these people. How are we going to do it? And so they have these two options. Either we give them what we have or we go out and buy a bunch more food. And like me, they always forget the third option. There's another option, which is to give it to Jesus and let Christ do what we can't do. And so finally, Jesus helps them. Verse 14, He said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so. Everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Jesus is our life, Jesus is our provision. He's our salvation, He's my righteousness, He's my hope, my joy. He's my present, my past, my future. Christ is everything that I need. He is our provision. In fact, isn't this such a beautiful picture of Jesus feeding the multitudes? It should kind of remind the alert reader of something from the Old Testament. It kind of reminds you, doesn't it, of when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were wandering around the wilderness, the twelve tribes, and, and so they were fed the manna from heaven. And I think there's intentional allusions in this story back to that. When you have 12 apostles, just like there were 12 tribes, and they're gathered in little camps around in the desert, and here's Jesus multiplying the bread and feeding them. So there's kind of these echoes of the Old Testament. Jesus can provide. He he has it all. He has more than enough. Like these songs we sang, you know, You are my all and all. That's why we're singing these songs, to think about the greatness of Jesus. Jesus could have fed 10,000 people. Jesus could have fed 100,000 people. If you could have taken every person on planet Earth from the beginning of people to whenever the end of people is going to be, and you somehow could put them all in one big room, <laughs> something, Jesus could feed them. It's not like he, you know, he, he doesn't get tapped out. He is the source. He is life itself. And of course it's not just physical food. The physical food obviously is an object lesson of the real thing that He feeds us, which is spiritual life, the Kingdom of God. That was the feeding, teaching people about, Christ, about God through, the, through His teaching and preaching. You know, There's a story of Charles Spurgeon who was a great uh, 19th century British preacher in London, very famous guy and just used by God powerfully. And one day, I guess he told a story. He was fried. He had been working all day and was tired, didn't know what else to do and just exhausted that whole story. And so he uh, was walking home. He was not feeling the best, thinking, how can I keep going in this ministry? And a verse came into his mind, which was, my grace is sufficient for you. And he started thinking about that. God's grace is sufficient for me. And then in his amazingly fertile creative imagination, uh, Charles Spurgeon imagined a little fish swimming in the Thames River there in London. And and he imagined, what if that little fish didn't really want to take a drink of the river because he was afraid he might drink it all up. And he imagined the river saying to the fish, little fish, my water is sufficient. I, I have so much. Drink all you want. And then Spurgeon imagined a man climbing a mountain And as the man was getting up the mountain, the air was getting thinner. His breathing was labored as he was trying to go up. And part of the problem was the man was trying to hold his breath because he was afraid that he might breathe up all the oxygen in the atmosphere if he went too fast. And it's like, no, breathe. There's plenty of oxygen. And I think sometimes we think that with Christ. Like, oh, he can't handle this. It's too much. He's not great enough for this problem facing our church. He's certainly not strong enough to deal with this issue in my life or, or the sin in my life or the brokenness. He certainly can't do that. I mean, I've I, I got to, you know, ration Jesus. There's only so much Jesus, right? And he's like, ah, He is the provider. He is, he is God. And so He has no beginning and no end. and There's no bottom to His resources and His power. And so here's the disciples finally getting it What a beautiful picture of ministry, isn't this? I I think that the structure of this story is an object lesson, intentionally. I I think there's something parabolic to it. So that here's Jesus, and he's the one who provides limitlessly. And here's the disciples taking the bread, and they're the ones going to the crowds and feeding them. And Isn't that a beautiful paradigm for ministry? That Jesus is our source, we receive from him, and then we take and we give to others. I mean, so in a sense, they are finally doing what he said. He said, go feed them. And the people are actually feeding them, right? The disciples are literally taking baskets of bread and they're giving them something to eat directly, as Jesus said, except it's not the way they thought it was going to happen. They thought it was going to come through a different means. They thought it was going to be them figuring it out and solving it, but that's not how it works. It's them relying upon Christ. It's simply taking the baskets, being filled up, so you have to be filled and you have to be giving being filled up with the life of Christ and being poured out. Both are critical parts of the Christian life. What an interesting picture that is of what it means to be a Christian. Because I think some of us are really turned off by the church. Some of us are really turned off by Christianity because we have not seen this. Some of us have been raised in churches that are irrelevant and dry, maybe even corrupt. And you've seen things and you're like, you know, if this is what the religion thing is... You know, thank you, but no thank you. This is not my thing. And I just want you to see that sometimes what human beings have warped and twisted through our own fallibility distorts the real picture of what Christianity is. This is what it's supposed to be, a living relationship with the living Christ where he fills his life into me and I, in turn, pour that life out into other people. People, do you understand this? As I was praying this week, God... I just felt God impressing this in my heart to tell you this. Jesus is alive. His bones are not on planet earth. There's no tomb where you could find the DNA of Jesus. He's literally risen. He's literally coming back someday to rule over heaven and earth. So if he is alive, if he's not alive, then Christianity is so much bunk, forget it, go home and watch football because you don't need to be here. But if he is alive, then this is everything. So it's either absolutely nothing or it's absolutely everything. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. Jesus is alive. He is our life. And so it's, it's about knowing him and loving him and worshipping him. And as he lives in me, then I bless other people and someday I will see him face to face when he returns. It's a living relationship with the living Jesus is what Christianity is. And anything less than that is a substitute. Do not settle for substitutes because it will end up burning you out in the end. And that's the picture. Jesus moving through us. And so we just take our five loaves and two fish. I take my five loaf, two fish sermon every week. I go, okay, Jesus, do something. (laughs) And he does. And I know it's not me. Because I talk to other pastors who have the same experience. And so I realize, oh, it's not me. It's not them. It's God's word. God is faithful to his word. Um, and it's same thing with you guys. You know, you you have your five loaf, two fish kind of Christian witness and you go to work and God somehow uses it. And you're like, I can't believe God used me. Yeah, that's what he does. Uh, here in this church, we had an exciting thing we did recently where we built a bunch of um, some houses down in Gulfport, Mississippi, where they'd been wiped out by the Hurricane Katrina. and and it was really big, and we got the news involved, and it was on WBTV for a week. And it was just amazing to see this thing happen. But it, it's not because we're some really well-organized relief church or anything. I mean, we're nothing. But it's just a couple guys in the church had a heart for it. And they said, all right, God, whatever, use us. We'll just take the next step of faith. And one thing happened led to another thing. And then next thing you know, we're building houses for people who are wiped out from the hurricane. It's like, how was that? Because God took a couple five-loaf, two-fish carpenters in our church who just were willing to go for it and trust that God could do something through them that they themselves could not have done if it was just up to them to fix it. And so that's how God works. Jesus meets our needs. He meets our physical needs. He meets our emotional needs. He meets, most importantly though, our spiritual need. Because ultimately Jesus did not come to institute a food distribution program. He came to deal with my deepest need and interestingly, my deepest need is the same as every human being's deepest need on planet Earth. Our deepest need is to have our sins forgiven so that we can come into a right relationship with God. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to do a little straight talk with you, okay? So I'm going to get rid of all the PC stuff and worry, I'm not going to worry about hurting people's feelings. I'm just going to talk straight with you because this may be the only time you hear this. You and I are sinful people We are not good in God's eyes. The Bible is extremely clear, and human history verifies this church doctrine, (laughs) that we are sinful, that at the core of our being is a rebellion against God. Jesus said the greatest commandment in the Bible is to love the Lord with all your heart. Have you loved God with all your heart? I haven't even come close. I barely think about him some weeks. And I'm a preacher. I just get so caught up in life. Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't even like some of my neighbors, honestly. (laughs) Some of you don't like me, and I understand. (laughs) To love my neighbor, I don't have love within me. I'm not a a naturally loving person. Selfishness comes easy to me. Self-justification comes easy to me. Greed and anger and uh, pride and lust and all. that, That comes easy to me, but... Love, no, that's not it. We are sinful people. There is no person on planet Earth who can stand before God, given their track record, and be good enough for God. Now, it gets worse. The bad part is that God is holy and therefore every human being deserves the full wrath and anger of God for our sins. We deserve judgment from God. Every person here, and me too, without any help from God, is on a one-way flight to eternal damnation. That's it. That's the bad news. And if you think otherwise, then what you're doing is you're trusting in five loaves and two fish of your own righteousness. Well, I'm a good person and you know, and I, I serve on the PTO and I recycle and you know, isn't that something, Jesus? And It's not. He is holy. We are sinful. We are going to hell without His intervention you understand that? The next thing you need to know is the good news. That Jesus came to save wretched sinners like me from my sins to provide what I cannot provide for myself which is righteousness and forgiveness. You can't work your way to righteousness. You can't do any rituals or sacraments to kind of take away, you know, sin's not like calories. It's not like you sin and then you work it off with good deeds. It doesn't work that way. The only way for my sins to be forgiven and to know Jesus the way we've been talking about is to trust in Jesus, to grab onto Jesus like a drowning man grabbing onto a life preserver in in a stormy sea and cling for dear life because Christ is God's provision. And when Jesus hung on the cross, it wasn't because He made a bad political judgment or was making a political statement or something. He hung there to pay for my sins so that on the cross... My guilt and the punishment I deserve was transferred to Him and Jesus' righteousness was transferred to me. So my ultimate provision is not some bread, it's not pizza or food, it's my ultimate provision is righteousness before God. And so I can say that I'm a saint. I'm a saint. And so is anyone who knows Jesus. Not because we're perfect, but because Jesus' righteousness has been like draped over me. And so when God sees me, He sees the righteousness of Christ not the natural state of Jeremy. (laughs) That's the Gospel message. And I just want to say that if you just put your faith in Christ and turn to maybe you've tried everything else, turn to Christ. He'll change your life. He'll forgive your sins. You'll become a new creation in Him. Because He has more than enough. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care about your past. You're like, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I'm involved in right now. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter though. Jesus is enough. He is enough. To forgive anyone who clings to Him and turns to Him in faith, and turns away from their sins. And isn't that the point of the end of the story? Verse 17: They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So there's twelve disciples, twelve baskets. Not a coincidence. <laughs> it's not a coincidence. In fact, I, I can see the movie in my mind again. Here's all the disciples standing around, like, whoa, that was great, you know, and high-fiving each other, and you know, woo, that was amazing and all the bread's around, and here's Jesus cleaning up the leftovers, putting in baskets. And then he picks up basket number one, and he walks over to disciple number one. This is my mind, how it kind of played out. He hands it to disciple number one. Smiles a big smile at him. "Hmm, hmm, hmm." (laughs) Basket number two, disciple number two. -hmm." He doesn't say anything. He just hands them out until there's 12 disciples with 12 big baskets. You know, it's like, do you get it? Do you get it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, help me to get it. it Seems like you have to hand me baskets like every other day cuz I just keep forgetting. Lord Jesus, you are enough. You are our savior, and we thank you Jesus, and not only can you meet our needs, not only can you Help us out with our rent when we pray. Lord, you answer prayers like that. And not only can you help us with the the wounds and the hurts in our hearts, and you answer prayers like that, but most of all, you came to deal with my deepest need, which is to reconcile me to God by cleaning off my sins so that I could be forgiven and I could be a saint, which just means a holy one who's made holy by Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made a sinner like me into a saint by your grace. It's just astounding. Lord, You are amazing. And I just pray that we would cling to You, Jesus, that we would love You, that we would be a people filled up with Your life so that we could turn around and give all the extra leftovers to the people around us because we're so full of You. And so, Lord, use us. Use this little church. We're just such a a, a, a small, humble congregation in the grand scheme of things. We don't amount to anything. This church could go away and the, the world would go on fine. But, Lord, use this little congregation of faithful people to reach out in love to the world around us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Would you open up your hymnals? And let's turn to hymn number 311. Hymn number 311. And I want you to stand. And let's sing Hallelujah, What a Savior.